Good morning. So let me just explain. This is not telling you to be quiet. Uh, It's the name of our new series, but in a way it is. That's the point of the series is that quiet actually really matters in your life. And the kind of the question we're asking is, could being quiet speak the loudest? And we're going to look at quiet, how it impacts us in different ways in our life. But before we kind of get into that, let me ask you this. How many of you saw a movie called A Quiet Place this last year? Well, oh, wow, even with feedback. Uh, very good. Apparently they enjoyed it. So if you haven't seen it, the premise of the movie is this. I haven't seen it either, but I researched it this week. And the premise of the movie is uh, living in a post-apocalyptic world, toothy alien extraterrestrial creatures are hunting humans. It's a, it's a movie, not a documentary. Are hunting humans, um, but the, these creatures can't see. They have no sight. They only have hearing, super sensitive hearing. So if anybody makes a sound, they're toast. The tagline is, if they hear you, they hunt you. And so the idea is there's this mom and dad who are trying to keep their kids alive in this post-apocalyptic quiet zone of a world and trying to keep their kids quiet because the slightest noise could mean certain death. Good luck with that, trying to keep the kids quiet, right? And, and it's, but it's a lot of tension in this movie about, and it's so much of the movie is just quiet and silence. Well, I thought about that, like you gotta be completely silent or the creatures will get you. I was like, man, my family would not survive the opening credits. Like we would just, we would be the first ones gone. Like, like we may just stay, like white flag, like here we are, just let's get this over with and let's create, you know, we, I live in a noisy world. Probably you do too. And it's easy to blame it on kids and stuff like that. But the reality is we live in a world where quiet is a scarce commodity. Sometimes it's our outer world, the surrounding world. Sometimes it's our inner world is very, very noisy. And sometimes in the movies, they'll say this, like they'll be sitting there and go, it's a little too quiet. Is that possible? Is it possible to be too quiet? Or as a parent, you may have said that, Hey, it's a little too quiet because quiet is so abnormal that if it's quiet, something must be wrong. Well, what I want to try and convince you of this morning that if it's quiet, something is very, very right. Like there are seasons and times and places where we've got to find a quiet place and we need to get quiet into our life. And it matters deeply to our soul. There was a study done um, at a, on a college campus by psychologists. They love to do experiments on us. And they were trying to learn for our good, for our good, right? And they're trying to learn about us. And so what they did is they had this student who had a backpack and an armful of books who would walk out of the library out in kind of this, the open area on a sidewalk and, 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 and with a lot of people around and they would drop their books and they, would, they wanted to see how many people would come and help the person pick up the books. Five out of 10 stop, people stopped to help the person pick up their books. Then they introduced one variable. They had the same scenario, same place, same people. This time, they had a lawnmower without a muffler making a lot of noise right next to where it happened. And when, that, when they'd had the, a lot of noise introduced in the scene, one out of 10 people stopped. Five out of 10 when it's just normal conditions, when it got loud, one out of 10. Imagine that. Like, a lack of quiet impacted people's ability to show compassion. They did a study on kids learning um, near an airport in Los Angeles. And when the 
uh, jetway right by their school was active and jet planes were taking off and landing, introducing noise into the classroom, the students' ability to concentrate, perform tasks, uh, follow directions greatly diminished than when that, t- uh, that runway was not active. In a prison, they found some of the greatest complaints weren't about food or other prison conditions, but it was about the noise level. They do all this research to figure out what does noise or a lack of quiet do to us, and the reality is probably more than we can even imagine. They can measure some of it, but the impact it has on our mental ability, emotional capacity, our souls is big. It's huge. And the reality is our world is loud, and so is our personal world that we create as we invite noise in. In our inner world, last, we did a whole series up, up until the last week about talking to ourselves about what kind of language and, and, and uh, what voice are we using when we speak to ourselves? Are we telling ourselves truth? Are we filling our lives with truth? Because sometimes our inner voice will tell us lies. And sometimes our inner voice creates a lot of noise. Well, as we challenge you to consider what would it look like to bring quiet into your life, to find a quiet place, what I want you to know is it'll be, it'll require a search. You'll have to search to find it, and when you find it, you're going to have to fight for it because we do not live in a quiet world. Gary Thomas says this, we who have been drugged by diversions cannot expect to enter into quiet without a struggle. Our souls will roar for diversion. And think about it in your life. Try it this week. Try just to be quiet or have kind of silence enter the picture and see what happens. Sometimes it's social media starts creating some noise in our world. Not literal noise, but noise in our head. Sometimes it's TV, our screens. I won't ask for a show of hands, but how many of us this week were guilty of having not just one screen on, but multiple screens at the same time? Comes, well, I didn't, you don't have to show your hands, but I appreciate your bravery. Thank you for your confession. They're leading the way in authenticity. I, I applaud you. This week, I found myself at a commercial break watching something, and it came to the commercial break, and immediately, what did I do? How many times when you get to a pause where there's quiet that you reach for something to fill that space? Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's activity. Sometimes it's just trying to talk when you should be quiet. Sometimes it actually is our inner voice that kind of keeps on chattering and chirping. Let me ask you a few questions. When was the last time that you were quiet for 15 minutes? When was the last time you were in a place where you could hear a pin drop that it was so quiet? I'm not sure why I always use a pin drop, and it's P-I-N, not P-E-N. Like, not pen, but pen. And I'm not sure why that's our go-to. Like, why not a sponge drop? Like, like, that seems like it'd be quieter. Like, you'd have to really strain to hear it. But whatever a pin drop is our go-to analogy. There's actually a room in the United States they've constructed that it's so quiet, it holds the world record for the quietest place in the United States. It may be the world, I can't remember. It's got three-foot-thick concrete, these acoustic wedges, layer upon layer. It's 99.99% soundproof. And they challenge people to go in with the lights off in the silent to see how long they can last. And they say very quickly, in the dark and in the almost complete silence, You start hearing your heartbeat, breathing, stomach gurgling. That's awkward. Like all kinds of things. 
Like you're in there in the quiet, that wasn't me. You know, like, like I mean, there's all, like, and they say people have a hard time being quiet in that. We have a hard time quieting ourselves in a normal room, let alone that room. When was the last time you were able to sit without the noise of a radio, TV, or a screen? And maybe it's not the noise, but at least the mental interaction. One of the questions you should ask yourself is, does silence bother you? In different applications, think about different scenarios when you're by yourself, when you're with others, when you're in the car, when you're at work, when you're in the classroom. Does silence bother you? And if so, why? And then one of the things I would really challenge you to think about is, when it gets quiet, what is your go-to diversion? What is, you know, we don't live in a post-apocalyptic world with blind creatures with super sensitivity that hunt down noise. But we do have things in our life that feel like they're invading our lives and bringing noise in. The minute there's quiet, they want to disrupt that. And it hunts us and it haunts us. Like, what is it in your life that's your go-to diversion that you bring in to disrupt quiet that keeps you from having a quiet place? What's your go-to diversion? Well, what I really believe is that we have a God-given need for quiet, for stillness, and for solitude. We need that. And it's by design that God created us with this need for that, and a failure to attend to that is very damaging to our souls. Proverbs speaks to the great value of of peace and quiet. And isn't it interesting that we, we associate peace and quiet? You ever said that? I just need some peace and quiet. Like, for, and for whatever reason, we group it together, and there's probably a good reason for that. Proverbs 17.1 says, Better a dry crust, like a little flake of leftover pizza, with peace and quiet, than a house full of feasting with strife. Jesus actually pursued this for himself, of trying to quiet himself, go into quiet places, and lead his disciples in there. In Mark 6.31, he said, Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves, to a quiet place and get some rest. And I think quiet is necessary for rest. I think it's necessary for peace. But I also think it's necessary for soul care. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, which means you're going to let him lead you and let him shepherd you to life-giving places, not just physically, but spiritually, like if you're going to let him lead your life, I believe he will lead you to some quiet places that will be quite uncomfortable. The most famous uh, chapter in the book of Psalms is Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm that talks about the Lord shepherding us. And in verse two and three, it says this. He makes me, and sometimes we have to be made to lie down because we're all just ended up being little kids at heart. He makes me lie down in green pastures. We don't like taking naps, right? We don't like being quiet. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And the next phrase I think is linked to what his leadership does to those kind of places. He refreshes my soul. God's desire is to refresh your soul. And he wants to lead you there. But it requires your participation. But he knows that leading you to a quiet place will refresh your soul. And here's why soul care matters. Like we want to be healthy, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Like we want to be healthy, I think. Sometimes if you look at our habits, maybe you could doubt that. But by and large, if you ask everyone, do you want to be healthy? Yeah. You went through different aspects of your life, you'd say, you want to be healthy? Yeah. Well, here's why I think it's an act of worship to be healthy mentally, spiritually, um, um, mentally, spiritually. 
It's not physically. Thank you, though. Hey, it's my sermon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes when I lose a train of thought, I just wait and catch the next train. Oh, oh, oh. And, okay, so here, here's where I'm going with this. Okay. Watch this. See, quiet's needed. Otherwise, it's like... Okay, Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And here's where I was going with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So there's three aspects. The gospel of Mark adds that, that Jesus said also with all your strength. Well, that might be the physical. But here's, here's the deal. So all your heart, when the Bible speaks of heart, it's talking about the center of who you are. It's your will. It's the part of your life that makes decisions about what you want, what you choose, what you hope for. It's that decision-making part of your life. That's your heart, not the thing that pumps blood in the Bible. It's the decision-making. It's that heart of of goals, dreams, desires, will, decision-making. All your heart, with all your soul, it's that spiritual side of your life that's designed to be primarily connected to God, that he wants to build. It's your identity in Christ. It's that whole aspect of your soul. And with all your mind, it's your mental health and emotional health. So what he says is you're supposed to love God with all. Everything God's given you, everything that you have, including these areas, heart, soul, and mind. One of the best acts of worship you can do is to bring to God a healthy soul that's vibrantly alive, surrendered to him, that he's replenishing, that he's restoring your soul. That who you are, you're honoring God with your life and saying, God, this is who I am and I want to be, have a, I want to practice soul care. I want to bring a healthy soul to worship you. And then he says, the second command is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we don't manage those parts of our life well, it's hard for us to love others because our self is a mess so we're not loving ourselves well. It's hard to love others well. But one of the best things you could do is have a soul that is nourished and healthy as Jesus leads it to quiet places and refreshes your soul. In Psalm 46.10, we're challenged this way. The psalmist says this, quoting, God says this to us, be still and know that I am God. And what I really think is that being still, still is needed and necessary to know God well. So when we think about quiet, it's quiet, stillness, and solitude. And being still, being quiet, quieting yourself, stilling yourself, pushing pause is incredibly important to soul care. It's important for connecting with God. It's important for connecting with others. And even here, he said, it's an act of worship. Be still, and you can do that because there's a God and it's not you. You can let God be God and just push pause and rest and just be his child. This is one of the ways I've thought about this being true in my life. Um, you guys know what a snow globe is, right? Like, we all know what that is. It's like one of these things. Here's a picture of one up here. And so I've got one. Typically you see it with like a winter scene or a, a Christmas tree or like the skyline of San Antonio for some. Like you go to a city and you got a snow globe and you're like, you don't have a lot of snow here. That's, that's an odd gift. But you get the idea what snow globes are. The idea, you take it and when you shake it up, like all these things float around. Now my snow globe has a palm tree and a beach chair in it. And it's, so it's not really a blizzard, so there's glitter, because there's glitter at beaches, I guess. But when you shake it up, all this stuff starts floating around. The way I've thought about stillness this last year in my life is this. Like, my life is like a snow globe. And, and I keep kind of 
can keep moving and I'm active. I'm not being still. I'm not being quiet. And everything is kind of stirred up. And I don't have clarity. I don't feel a deep connection to God or others uh, or, or loving myself well so I can love others well. Like, like all that's going on. And I wonder, like, why aren't things settling down? I don't understand why things aren't settling down. It's because I never settle down and be still and let the pieces settle to the bottom. You were created a God-given need to still yourself, to pause, to be quiet. And when you don't do that, your world will be cloudy. It will lack clarity. This is a God-given design. Parker Palmer tells a story and gives an analogy of in the Midwest, up north, places um, in Canada where farmers and ranchers have to endure with very difficult winters. He said, sometimes blizzard conditions can come on you like that. It's kind of there, and all of a sudden, it's just a blinding snowstorm. And he said, in those blinding snowstorms, something weird happens where you get disoriented. Happens when you're driving. It even happens when you're walking, even walking from your house to the barn or the barn to your house. And so he said, what sometimes he's seen people do is tie a rope from the door of their house all the way out to the barn So if blizzard conditions show up like that, they can grab the rope and follow the rope and pull on the rope till they get back to safety. They said it's happened at times, and he's been aware of this times, where someone has died within feet of their front door because they're walking around in this blinding blizzard and they could not find the safety and warmth and shelter of getting out of this blizzard and cold and freezing. All they needed to do was find the rope and follow the rope. What quieting is, what stillness is, what solitude is, is it's a rope that helps you make it through blinding conditions of life to connect deeply to God. It is your most important connection. And what you should think about is every habit in your life, run it through this filter. Is this a rope that if I pull on it and follow it, will it connect connect me at a deeper level to Jesus? Or does it take me away from him? Does it, does, it, does it blur my ability to see Jesus clearly or does it make it more clear? And what I would challenge you to do is figure out what the habits are that connect you deeply to Jesus. I think engaging scripture is one of those. I think prayer is one of those. I think connecting in community is one of those. But I also think stillness, solitude, and quiet are in that list. And what I would challenge you to do is follow the rope to put those practices in your life and pull on it and follow it to connect deeper to Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's a great filter for really everything in your life. Think of any relationship, any discipline, any habit, any activity, and ask, does this lead me to being better connected to Jesus? And when you start running that filter past purchases, relationships, decisions, habits, even leisure time activity. What you become very aware of quickly is sometimes we're pulling on the wrong ropes, expecting us to restore our souls and refresh our souls. And we wonder why we're so worn out, so cloudy and so kind of lost in the the blizzard. We have a God-given need for quiet stillness and solitude and they're, they're different. Quiet is almost like on a remote, it's pushing pause or excuse me, pushing mute, or at least turning the volume down. And we live in a very noisy world. And there are some things in our life that we cannot control the volume level on. 
but there's some things we can. And so to look at your world and figure out, is there any way I could bring some more quiet into my life to push mute or at least turn the volume down is an important question to ask. Then there's stillness, that's pushing pause. It's stopping activity. It's putting some gaps in your schedule. It's finding a way to say, for this little sliver of time, I'm going to be still. I'm not going to be active. I'm going to rest my mind, my soul. And then there's this idea of solitude. At Live Oak, we talk a lot about community. You are connected for a God-given relationship with others. Community. This idea of following Jesus together. You're a child of God, but you're not an only child. And we need each other. And connecting in community is important. But there are times where we need to stay connected to others, but also have some times where we need to deconnect from others. We need some solitude, where it's just us and God. And sometimes we need to unplug from our relationship with others for a, it could be minutes or just a little bit of a season to deeply better uh, connect with God, but it's different than isolation. There's a difference between solitude and isolation, and some of us are practicing isolation, not solitude. Solitude stays deeply connected to God and to others, but it has moments where we push pause on our interaction with others to better deeply connect with God. Wayne Cordero says this, solitude is a healthy prescriptive. It's a healthy uh, course of action. And it's a healthy discipline or habit. But isolation is a symptom of emotional depletion. And sometimes we just get so spent in life that we're just done peopling, right? I'm done. That's not solitude. That's isolation. Solitude does not refresh the soul, but isolation, I mean, mean, isolation does not refresh the soul, but solitude can when it's done for short seasons or short, excuse me, for short moments throughout our life or day. The psalmist came to this conclusion that they were able to do that for their soul. Psalm 131 verse 2, it says, but I have calmed and quieted myself. And if you can't say that for yourself, that you've calmed and quieted yourself in a way that helps you refresh, God, to refresh your soul, let me give you a way of maybe that you could do that this week. This is how you could do that. But what I would, what I would prefer you to do is ask, how will you do that this week? What is your plan for pursuing quiet? for finding a quiet place and fighting for it. First thing I'd ask you to do is this, assess. Make an assessment. How quiet is your world? How quiet, what's the noise level like? If there was a a noise meter, how noisy is your world? Think of it on a scale of zero being silent to 100 being unbearably loud noise. 50, 60, 70, like 88? Like, Like where are you in terms of the quiet level? And then, Here's the question, like, where's the noise coming from? What's the noise level, and where's the noise coming from? Have you ever, like, middle of the night, like, if you have multiple smoke detectors in your house, all of a sudden one of them literally starts chirping you? Change me. (laughs) Good luck finding me, you know? And you're like, where are you? Chirp. It's over here. Chirp. Nope, it's over here. Like, you ask that question, where's that noise coming from? Or if you've ever driven your car, and all of a sudden it makes a weird noise, and you're like, what was that? Where did it come from? And you're, you're trying to describe to the mechanic or like, I heard a noise. What was it like? This is going to get really weird. I'll make a noise. I'll try and recreate it, but I have no idea. It could have been the trunk, could have been the headlights or somewhere in between. Like, I don't know. Or if you've ever watched a movie like A Quiet Place or a scary movie, 
Maybe you're home by yourself and all of a sudden you hear, you're like, what was that noise? Where'd it come from? Like you start getting jumpy. Like we need to ask the question, what is that noise and where is it coming from in our lives? Where is the noise coming from in your life? And again, sometimes you can control it. Sometimes you can't. Focus on what you can and assess it. The the other question about assessment is, how do you keep you from quiet? Yeah, sometimes it's outside sources. But sometimes it's self-imposed. Sometimes we get quiet and we're just bored. You know, when we're younger, we're like, we have some moment of free time on our hand. We're like, I'm bored. How can you be bored? Look at all this stuff you can do. And weren't you complaining about having to do something earlier? Now you don't have to do something and you don't like it? Like, just enjoy being bored. Sometimes it's hard to be bored. I don't know what to do with my hands. Maybe it feels awkward or uneasy. Silence can be awkward. See, was that awkward? It was a little experiment. Anyway, sometimes we get quiet and we feel guilty. I feel like, especially if we're being quiet around others, I feel like I should be saying something right now. Just on behalf of some people in your life. No, you don't. You can be quiet. It's okay. It's all right. Quiet is okay. But it sounds so awkward and feels so weird. We just can't handle it. It feels uneasy. We feel guilty for being quiet. We have a fear or we feel anxious when it's quiet. For some of us, we're in the habit of not being quiet. Our habit is noise. Our habit is not being quiet and just what we routinely do. Some of us were just so busy, the idea of stillness and quiet just seems impossible. The irony of someone's phone going off, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I should not have said that. This was, I, I, I will show you, this is literally on my paper, the next thing it says is technology. Like technology, I'm sorry, I, I apologize, that's not your fault. Last service, I got six text messages during the message, and anyway. Like technology, it's a tool that can help us, but sometimes it invites a lack of quiet. It kills quiet in our lives. What keeps you from you being quiet? Oftentimes, it's just a lack of intentionality of saying, today, I am gonna find a quiet place and I'm gonna fight for a quiet place to be still and know God better. Assess how quiet is your world. Figure out what keeps you from that and then take action. The next step is to act. Assess and then act. How will you quiet your world some this week? If you're at an 88, mute is probably not an option. But the volume down a couple steps might be. I'm an 88, I'm gonna get down to an 85. I'll get down to an 80. I'm gonna try and quiet it some this week or find some parts of my week or of my day that are quiet. What I want to challenge you to do is figure out how you will do this. Have a plan. Again, if you don't have a plan, it's probably not going to do it. But find some quiet space this week. Help create quiet. Move the needle closer to quiet than it is to loud. Push pause, mute, and volume for the purpose of being still and knowing God. Not being still for stillness sake, but for God's sake. The last step is this. How could you help someone else do this? How could you aid somebody else in having some quiet into someone else's world this week? How can you help bring some quiet into someone else's world this week? 
Anything in life worth fighting for probably means you can't fight it alone. We're created to do life together, right? It's important. And sometimes if you're going to fight for something important, you need others' help in that. My wife helped me this week. She was out of town this week for work, and I had the kids. And so on Saturday, she said, hey, why don't you go take a couple hours? I've got the kids. Boy, that was great. That helped me bring some quiet into my world this week. I'm grateful for it. How could you help somebody find some quiet this week? Parents, you may need to do this for your kids. Chances are they will not like it, but I'm telling you that they need it. Our mind needs stillness. And if we're not still and pushing pause and mute or adjusting the volume, we can't look at our lives and our minds and our hearts and our souls and go, why is it so chaotic? Because we're mirroring the world and it requires stillness. How can you help bring some quiet into somebody else's world? Maybe it is, maybe you're a single parent and you've got the kids and there's no one else coming home to say, hey, I got the kids today. Well, that's where community is important. Is there someone in your life that could come in and just help buy you just a little time to have a little bit of quiet? Is there something you could do on behalf of others to help quiet their world? Again, Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. And a lack of stillness makes it hard to know God deeply and see God clearly and hear from him well. Next week, we're going to talk about how we hear from God, how still and quiet is necessary to hear from God. And that's one of the most common questions I get is, how do you hear from God? How do you know God's speaking to you? We're going to talk about it next week. But one of the things I wanted to do this week is talk about our need for it. And we wanted to give you some prompts, some ideas, some things that can remind you of your need to be quiet this week. And so what we did, I didn't do it, um, but our great team did, is there's a screensaver that you can put on your phone. I've got it on mine. It says, be still and know that I'm God. It looks exactly like that. You can download it there, or it's a desktop wallpaper. If you have an, uh, an Apple Watch, I turn mine into my uh, Apple Watch face. And so, like, when I look at my phone, and when I look at my watch, I recognize, one, I need to be still and know that he's God, and chances are what I'm doing right now is keeping me from that. It's not supposed to make you feel guilty about your technology. It's a great tool. But it was not, it was, it, it was, it was ironic, and it was not uncommon that when I went to look at my phone, at the be still and know that I'm God, I've had it on all week, that there were six text messages covering up the be still part of my phone. I thought, wasn't that ironic? Don't you think? So we want to give you a prompt to help you, remind you to be still and know that you're God. It doesn't tell you how. So how will you do that? How will you be still and know God this week? I think it matters. Uh, Let me shift gears real quick. Last week, we did a series, or ended our talking to, yourself, talking to Myself series, and it was our Next Gen Sunday. We talked about our belief that everyone should do something to know and invest in the next generation. Well, in Lubbock, we live in a college town. Chances are, there is someone in your world that is college age. You may know them well, or they may just be somebody that you pass by, at least they're somewhat on your radar. But what I would challenge you to do is figure out how you can know and invest in the next generation by doing something in the life of a college-age person. Live Oak actually has a college ministry, and this Friday night, one of the best ways you could serve uh, this college-age college people in your life is let them know that there's a college-age gathering this week. There's information in your program about that. It's Friday night at 7.30 um, at the, in the sub in the Matador room at Texas Tech uh, on the second floor. There'll be dinner, worship, and a talk based on frequently asked questions about dating and relationships. And if you know a college-age person a way that you can know and invest in the next generation is to tell them that that's going on. 
Like I shared it on social media this morning. I saw it and I can't attend. I attended the last one and I loved it. But I, I, I shared it because I want anyone to know it's college age to know this is a place where you can go to be known and know God well. And people will care for you. Chances are, if you know a college age person, they might say, well, I don't know anybody that's there. Well, consider going with them, saying, hey, I'll, I'll go with you. Because there are some adults there that really care about college age students that are there to invest in them. Just go bring your college age friend there. But if you, could, if you see something about it on Facebook or, or Instagram, like it, comment on it, share it if you can. Pass it on to somebody. Like I said, the details are in your program. Because for us, we know that even though we're not right by the tech, tech campus or the LCU campus or the South Plains campus, we live in a college town. And the next generation matters and how we invest in them deeply matters. And I want to give one other follow-up uh, to uh, last week's Next Gen Sunday. I gave uh, the challenge uh, to write a letter to somebody in the next generation. We asked the question, what would you go back and tell you your third grade self, your college freshman self, your 13-year-old self. Like, and then reality is we can't go back and tell ourselves that. But we can tell somebody that age. We can be who we needed when we were that age. We can tell what we needed to hear that age. And there's no guarantee they'll listen. But what I appreciate is some of you took that literally and actually did write a letter to someone in the next generation, some wisdom of what you would tell your younger self. And, and last week I talked about Blake Porter. I bragged on him and I'm bragging on him again because he went home that day and he wrote a four-page letter to my son, John. Today after church, Blake and John and I are going to go to lunch and he's going to give my son that letter. And he can't go back and tell middle school Blake, high school Blake can't go tell middle school Blake what he wished he'd known, but he can tell my son who's about to enter middle school. And Blake, I'm very thankful. Thank you for doing that. And I want to challenge you to take whatever wisdom God's given you in your years and look back, whether it be a college-age person, someone who's you know elementary school, whatever it is. And one of the challenges we have in our culture is we are so worried about offending somebody by passing on wisdom. We're so worried about offending people that a lot of times we keep wisdom to ourselves. And there's no guarantee that, that people will listen. There's no guarantee that someone might not be offended. But if there's something, some wisdom that you learned along the way, be a good steward and manager of that. It will serve them well when we pass it on. So I challenge you to do that. And one of the things we can do to serve the next generation well is practice being quiet. This is countercultural. We live in a noisy world. So maybe just choosing this habit of being quiet in a world that's very loud might actually speak the loudest to the next generation. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thanks that you love us and you desire us not just to know that you are God, but to know you personally. And God, as we surrender to you and let you be the leader of our lives, I do believe that you lead us to these quiet places that refresh and restore our soul. And we live in a world that has a lot of noise and can do a lot of damage to our inner world. God, I pray this week you'd help us find a quiet place to know you deeper, to trust you, to use less words in our prayer and more listening to let you bring stillness into our pace of life. And God, I pray that you would show up in the quiet and be with us as it's uncomfortable, challenging, awkward, sometimes even scary. Help us develop these habits of quiet so we can know you better. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front. How you look at me
Yeah.